Hi, you guys. This is Liz Ryan, and this is the Truth About Work podcast, episode 46. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. We got flooded with mail over the last few days. I understand because we're coming up to the end of a year, hell year, 2020, obviously. People are looking ahead to 2021 and figuring out, what should I do with my career? What should I do next? Should I keep my job? Is this the best job I could get? Should I stay here? Should I look for a new job? Should I think about going out on my own as a consultant? Should I think about growing my thought leadership flame while I'm here? Maybe I could get more leverage out of this job if I use this job to grow my voice and become some kind of a thought leader. Maybe I could start writing blog posts or something. Maybe I could podcast. Who knows, right? People are thinking about it, thinking about career change. You might be thinking about this stuff too. Here's my suggestion. You know what it's going to be. Get a journal and write in it. So helpful. If it doesn't help you, you know, then just let this advice wash over you. But a lot of people find it is so helpful to have a journal. Makes them remember things they forgot about themselves and their history. If you're not sure what to journal about, I'm sure there's a blog post on our blog at Human Workplace, 15 journal prompts to get you started. But if you can't find it or you want more, just write to me. Support at humanworkplace.com will get you a bunch of journal prompts, things that you can write in your journal about just to get the juices flowing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I got a question to answer. Can't read it because it's a little bit long, but it's a great question. I'm sure other folks have had this question and maybe, you know, in their mind, person is job hunting and she says, how do I list these companies I've worked for? I got a job. I kept the job, but the company or the division of the company that I was in kept being sold. Job changed or sometimes the job didn't change, but I had a new corporate master. I had a new company name. If I put all these company name changes on my resume or LinkedIn, no one is going to know it was the same desk, the same boss, just moving to a different organization that owned us, they're going to think I'm the most job hoppery job hopper ever. Okay, look it. Your resume is a marketing document. It's not a legal document. You do not need to reflect all these name changes. If you think about it, reflecting all the name changes of the company was sold and then the division was resold and then this piece was outsourced and I was carried along by the wind on all these different directions. If we had to do that, you know, it would be like, you don't have to do it. That's not your that's not your job to keep the reader informed of the ownership structure, right? You don't put in your resume when you're working for Toys R Us and they're bought by um, you know, private equity firm. You don't no one cares. It's just a brand. Give us the brand we know. Give us the brand the industry knows. Just leave that in place. If you're in an industry, as this reader mentioned that she is, and people know the brand, give them the brand they know. Just make it easy. We are looking to slide the reader along into your story without artificial impediments to their attention. Like, oh, here was an ownership changed or our division was sold to XYZ. Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Right? It doesn't matter. Just give us the brand name that we associate with. Like, for example, right now, Somebody works for Google. Unless they're way up in the corporate office, they're probably not going to say, I work for Alphabet, right? They'll say, I work for Google. It's owned by Alphabet. No one cares. 
Google's vision of Alphabet, just say Google, right? This is a world we're living in now. Companies get bought and sold and sliced off and carved off. Just keep it in the marketing realm. Give us the name we're looking for that we expect, especially if there's a product or service associated with a brand name, give us that brand name, right? I worked for a company that changed its name after I worked there. And people said, are you going to change your LinkedIn to reflect the name they have? No. I said, heck no. Why would I? They had a name when I worked there. That's the name that I worked. I worked for that company. What am I supposed to keep track of all their changes over time? No. I worked for them when they were XYZ company. That's what's going on my resume and my LinkedIn. Now, if I, I didn't care, right? I'm not, I wasn't trying to get a job at the time. Now, if I were trying to get a job, and I wanted it to be a recognizable name, I would have adjusted that name to suit the company's current name. So I would get that brand association that people know. Does that make sense? In other words, do what's in your best interest. This is not a legal document. You are writing for comprehension, right? Not compliance with some unknown mystical legal requirement. Okay. Yeah. Keep it simple. You don't need to use your resume or your LinkedIn to reflect all the ownership changes of the organizations you worked for. Why would you even be responsible for knowing that stuff? Know what I mean? All right. Next one. Truth about hourly versus salaried. Wow. You know, hourly versus salaried employment, speaking about the U.S. here, was kind of a settled topic. People didn't talk about it too much for a long time because... You know, we have a, a thought process, very unfortunate, but we've got a lot of brainwashing to, that we have to reevaluate and deconstruct. And one of the pieces of brainwashing is that you rise up from hourly to salary. This is the, the path going up. You know, I was hourly, now I'm salaried, I am salaried. I'm a staff professional and my, I have a title, I have business cards. Okay, that's a scam. That's a scam. When you're salaried, you don't get paid for working overtime. In the United States, that's unlimited hours. I think a week has what? 168 hours in it that you are alive in a week. And legally, in the United States, there's no limit to the number of hours that a company can ask or expect or require you to work. Think about that. It's bizarre and it's not cool, but that's employment law in the U.S., so it's not necessarily an advantage to be on salary. That's part of the brainwashing. Now, hourly employees can get screwed around too. There's no limit. There's limits to the hours you can be forced to work as an hourly person, but you can still be required to work overtime when you don't feel like it or it's not convenient for your life. Now, that's a horrible thing for hourly employees. Or you can work a lot of overtime and you can do a great job at it and they can say, no, we're giving somebody else the overtime. We don't feel like giving it to you. They don't have to, in a non-union shop, give you overtime, even if you're qualified for it and you've done a great job, right? There are numerous inequities and unfairnesses in the working world, and that's one of them. So I'm not saying that hourly work is nirvana by any means. You don't get paid if you're not there. You don't get paid, right? But salary, salary job, the idea is that you get your regular paycheck, even when you're not there, as long as you have whatever sick or personal or vacation time. Theoretically, when you're salaried, it shouldn't even matter when you're there because, you know, 
you're, you're doing the job. The job is being done satisfactorily or else we should have a conversation about whether you're in the right job, right? And I've argued for years, salaried people, what does it even matter what hours they work? If the work is delivered, they're working at home till midnight the night before. What do you care? Why do you expect to see them online or in the office at eight o'clock next morning? It makes no sense. It's the worst of birth, both worlds. I have to produce what you need me to produce, but you also want to see my ass in the chair. <laughs> that's, that's cray, right? So we have a lot of work to do about redefining these relationships between employees and employers, but there is nothing magical about being salaried. And I would love to dispel any notion that like, oh, that, then I'll really have made it when I'm salaried. No, no, unfortunately not. Now, the Fair Labor Standards Act that defines a lot of stuff about employment was um, updated a minute ago, like 2004, I want to say. And they really did say, you know, you shouldn't tell salaried employees that you expect them to work a certain minimum number of hours because the whole idea is that they're only salaried by virtue of the fact that they're supposed to have discretion about when they work. But yeah, so that's really great that the FLSA, the Fair Labor Standards Act, written in 1938 and never updated until like 2004, um, never really at least, you know, overhauled. It still doesn't, you know, so maybe your company can't tell you we need you to be here 55 or 60 hours a week. They're not supposed to do that. There are still handbooks that say that, by the way. I've seen them. There are still handbooks today that say, we want you here, if you're a manager, you should be here or on the job 60 hours a week. That's the Fair Labor Standards Act says you're not supposed to do that, but who's going to complain? Because we have the overarching thing that I'm always complaining about called employment at will that says, if you don't like it, uh, you know, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Can't complain because you can be let go for no reason in the U.S., which is really <laughs> pretty much the be all and end all that overrides that overrides a lot of employment laws because who's going to complain, right? Particularly people at most risk of losing their jobs. Like say immigrants, you'd be legal, could have all your papers documented, right? I guess better thing to say than legal. Everyone's legal. No such thing as an illegal person. What an absurd concept. Some people are documented immigrants, but they still don't want to complain about mistreatment on the job because of employment at will. Now, I'm happy to see this week um, some uh, fast food and food service workers getting what's called just cause. Legislation passed that says that they have to be terminated for cause. You can't just say employment at will and you're out of here, get lost, you're fired. This is huge. Anything that erodes employment at will, I am a fan of it. Employment at will, by the way, the right to just fire people summarily is not just bad for employees. It's bad for all of us. It's bad for, for, for truth-telling. It's bad for companies when they don't get the truth about what's going on in their organization because people are afraid to tell the truth. I can't wait. I hope I see employment at will eroded to the point where it is dust in my lifetime. Hoping for that. All right. Your branding. Right now, we are headed toward the end of the year. Praise, we needed this year to be gone. Gone. Now, you know, nothing magically fixes all that's wrong. The COVID-19 crisis and economic crisis and 
and and systemic problems and inequality no fairy godmother shows up to fix all of that although i'll take joe biden i will take joe biden right now and kamala harris yes take them however we turn the page on a gruesome grueling year where we nonetheless learned a lot we learned a lot about what's broken a lot about what's broken culturally institutionally legally in my focus, you know, in the employment arena, we have a lot of work to do. But at least we can start to do that work in January. And personally, I'd be surprised if this incredibly horrendous year hasn't got you thinking about things that you might want to shift and change in your work, in your life. I did a Twitter poll asking folks, has 2020 shifted your priorities. And I think 65, 70% of people said definitely. It's definitely shifted my priorities about what I want for myself. So now is a great time to think about that. Get a journal and write in it. What do you want in 2021? Don't limit yourself. What do you want? What do you want to have? And what do you want to get rid of? What do you want to shed? And man, that could be your job. It could be friendships. It could be habits. It could be fears, doubts. It could be just allowing yourself now in 2021 permission to do things that maybe you just didn't. You didn't allow yourself permission to do. I'll wait till a different time. I'll wait till I'm more secure. I'll wait till I feel more confident. I'll wait till I lose 10 pounds and then I'll really live the life I want. You know, what a message this year. Don't wait. There's nothing to wait for. Who cares? Anybody that doesn't like you the way you are, God bless, God bless. You don't have to please anyone. You're not here to please somebody else. You're here to live your life, grow your flame, do what you feel called to do. Think about 2021 and what is possible for you. It doesn't have to be practical. Just a vision, just an idea. If I got to choose, what would I choose for my job, for my apartment? For the way I spend my time, for my finances, what would I choose? You, you, you can't get, was it Joe Jackson song? You can't get what you want till you know what you want, right? Gotta know, gotta think about it, gotta decide. And that's the hardest thing because we don't give ourselves permission to decide. A lot of times we say, oh, it's not up to me. Yep, it really, 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 really is. Now look it. Obviously, we have structural and systemic roadblocks for people. I'm not minimizing that or saying, oh, no, everybody can just do whatever they want. And we all have this, you know, equal opportunity to just dash out there and live. I'm not saying that. People have real, brutal, crushing, systemic, structural, unfair hindrances and, and, and you know, impediments, obstacles. And that's when we put our energy and passion around legal changes and legislative and social and community organizing and just educating ourselves and educating our friends and that stuff is critical. And at the same time, everybody has at least the ability to say, what do I want? What do I want? What do I want in the short term? What do I want in the midterm? At least I can change something in my situation for the better, right? How do I empower myself some slight little bit? People in prison do this. I have a close 
family member who spent 15 years in state penitentiary. And he was an inspiration to me because he told me when he came out, I got my bachelor's and my master's degree in prison. And I said, hey, everything happens for a reason. I'm in prison. It's a very harsh sentence, but times were different back then. And what am I going to make out of this? I got to do something. Right? I'm still alive. All right, so one thing to think about in 2021 is how you describe yourself, your branding, your resume, LinkedIn, wherever you're branded, just how you think about yourself. Some people, you know, change their hairstyle. If they could go to the hairdresser, that's a whole nother thing. Some people just change their self-conception. It's huge. It's huge. How you describe yourself, the words you use. My recommendation always, if you're updating your resume, updating your LinkedIn, use the first person. Talk about yourself saying I, you know, not these terse governmental sentence fragments, results-oriented professional why. That's not you. You are so unique, individual, cool, vibrant, funny, warm, smart, you know, dare to brand yourself that way because... Really, your brand should attract the right people and push away the rest. Who cares about them? Thing is, you can't please the unpleasable people anyway. There's just no pleasing them. They're not going to get you. They're not going to value you. So just God bless them and you, you go looking for your people that resonate at your frequency. They're out there. There are. There's way less of them, of course. Seven billion people in the world. You're not going to get three billion people on your side or a billion people probably right? But you're going to get enough when you step into your power and say, well, here's who I am. Here's who I'm not. Here's who I will never be. That's my suggestion. Get a journal. Think about your branding. Maybe you get a new LinkedIn profile photo or Twitter photo. That's kind of fun to say I'm a little bit different now. I changed. I finally changed my photos this year. Oh, it's been too long. I finally did it. I was like, that's ridiculous. I don't even have that. Nothing about me looks like that picture anymore. And I got emails saying, oh, you know what? It's it's a lot softer. It's a lot more human. I was like, wow. I didn't even realize that. I stopped looking at the old photo because I just had it. It's just there. It's like, okay, that's the placeholder. People said, no, this one's, this one's more warmer. It's more, more warmer. You know what I mean? It's just more like what I assume you to be. I'm like, oh, rock, rock on. That's cool. We don't have to be afraid to step into the next version and the next version and the next version of ourselves. That's growth. Otherwise, why? You know, why be alive? We're not evolving, changing. But you can write about yourself and give yourself permission to think, how do, what do I want and how do I write about myself in such a way it's more likely to bring in those things that I want and those people that I want to be friends with and have conversation with. We actually control our own branding and it's scary to think about because it's hard and it feels exposed to write about yourself. Ah, of course we hide behind that goofy corporate speak results oriented professional, but that would never define you. You're so much more than that. All right, I'm going to tell you a little bit of story. I've been doing this sort of autobiography thing and dribs and drabs on this podcast and I talked about working as a waitress, uh, that's what they used to call it, in New York and everything. But at one point when I got fired from Brew and Burger on my 19th birthday with my friend Didi for leaving at the time we were supposed to leave and going to the Ipanema Club after we watched the ball drop in in Times Square in 
1978. That's when I turned 19, December 31st, 78. And um, so I was fired and I needed a job. So I went to a fast food place in Times Square called Zoom Zoom. You would walk in and there was a big snaking um, sort of counter that went through the whole place. It was all counter. I think there might've been a few booths along the perimeter. And, and it was a hell job. I worked there for two weeks. And then my friend Didi said, we should just go back to a different Bruenberger. Like they don't care. It's a huge chain across New York. So what, we got fired from one of them. Another manager doesn't care about that in another store and he'll hire us in two seconds. And of course that's what happened. So I'm back at Bruenberger after my two weeks in this hell counter diner, gross sexual harassment, you know, pit of despair job. They paid like minimum wage and the tips were literally, you know, 25 cents on the count on the counter. And, um, oh, the waitress, you, you know, the unbelievable, you know, it wasn't kitschy. It wasn't like Johnny Rockets throwback to the fifties and wearing this cute little stripy, you know, waitress getup. This was real. This was like, there was no irony or postmodernism in it at all. It was just, this is what you have to wear. And it was, it was vile. It, it just was bad. Anyway. One day I'm sitting in my apartment on West 98th Street on the Upper West Side and the phone rings and I pick it up and this woman, very sort of, I don't know, grown up and official sounding and she says, you have to come and see me. You're a former employee of whatever restaurants group and uh, we really want to meet with you. And I'm such a dork at age barely 19. I'm like, okay, when? And I don't know if I took off school or I had the day off or I didn't have a class, but I get on the subway and I go down there and I even wore like my grown up clothes. I didn't have very many, but I had a couple of things that were kind of presentable for fancy occasions at school or grown up occasions. And I, um, I went there. I had not been an office person. I don't think yet at that point I had been a food service person and I go to her office in some high rise. And I get in there and she's 25, 26, a little bit older than me, but I knew she was kind of faking it, pretending to be like a grown-up, because who is it? And she says, uh, you worked for us for two weeks. I was like, yeah. And she said, we noticed that you came from Bruenberger National Restaurant Group, and then you went back there. And I was like, okay, that's super weird. Like, how did you know where I went to work? This is decades before LinkedIn. And she said, oh, you must have told the manager or whatever where you were going. I was like, okay. And she said, so the question is, were you a corporate spy? And I swear if I would have had a mouthful of coffee, I would have blown it out all over her desk. Like, what? Are you a corporate spy? And I was like so close to saying, yeah, I totally am, actually. I was hired by the KGB to infiltrate Zoom Zoom for a minimum wage job and, and capture all your corporate secrets, trade secrets that don't exist. But what I thought instead was, how dare you? So I'm not getting paid and this is because you in your paranoid state think I might be a 19-year-old corporate spy for another company? That really helped me sitting in that office feeling like a complete idiot. Why am I here? This chick is not paying me. Why am I here? And I said, wow. I said, you guys are so paranoid. Do you think you have something valuable? How you put the sugar in the sugar shaker? Or there is nothing, You're, the, the company, it was horrible two weeks. I, I would have gone to across the street to a bagel. I would have gone anywhere. I would have gone to McDonald's. It was a horrible job. It was a, an abusive sexual harassment job because it's just me. There were cooks in the back. I was it out in the front of the restaurant because it didn't get that busy. They were going downhill. They're long gone, this place. Times Square, who does that? Age 19. And uh, 
you, you're, you're out to lunch if you think there is anything worth knowing. This other place, Bruinberger, yes, they fired me, but at least they have a clue. They're always full. It's, you know, I made really good money there, and I'm loyal to them, if anything, not you. But the corporate spy thing, that's nuts. Like, whose idea was that? Was that your idea? Or did they send you to talk to me? And she was abashed. So, you know, it's good to feel your power sometimes. And she said, well, you know, it's just, it's very unusual to work for us for two weeks and then go back to where you were. I said, yeah, unless your friend Didi says, you know, we got fired, but that's actually meaningless. It's just hitting me now. It's a multi-chain thing. They're all over the east and west side. And you could, we could just walk into another one with our experience, get hired in one minute. And I was like, yeah, you're right, Didi. And that's what we did. But you guys have nothing. I don't, I, you know, you should pay me for this. You should pay me for this meeting right now. How dare you? You come down here. But of course, the, the joke was on me. Why did I do it? Brainwashed. Brainwashed. Brainwashed to think that grown-ups get to tell us what to do, especially corporate ones in high-rises. I'm 19. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe, oh, there's something. Oh, I have to go. I have to go. I should have said, tell me what you need, sweetie. Tell me right now what this is about. Finding our voices, you guys. I bless all these people that taught me these lessons. That's why we do... You know, we, that's why I talk about this stuff now. I bless them. Thank you for shaking me out of the brainwashing. Thank you. I hope you've had a happy life since those days.